This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wondery people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to You're In Good Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I'm Maddie and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie. Hello Maddie. Today I'm so excited for this episode because I feel like we fangirled over our guest for a little while now. But today we really jump into, you know, the motions of debt, which we've never really touched on before and how your emotions can impact the way you spend and I guess think about money. Then we go into some tips for achieving your financial goals without saying no to margaritas on a Friday night. Mads, that sounds like a perfect segment for us because we never say no to the margarita. (laughs) And then we're going to go into how to optimize your investing routine and really integrate it into your everyday life. But first, let's hear from a YIGC community member about their portfolio. Show me the money, honey. Hi, my name's Lucy. I'm 24 years old and I'm a graduate lawyer. After tax and hex, I'm earning roughly $1,800 a fortnight. My investing routine involves placing $100 per fortnight into a separate investing account and I invest when that account reaches $500. Today, the total value of my portfolio is $6,950, and since I started investing in March of 2020 after the COVID crash, I've made a total profit of $450. I hold shares in Combank, Bendigo Bank, Vanguard Australian Indexed ETF, and NIC, which is a random nickel mine that I bought on a stock tip. My biggest losses have been on that stock tip, and my investing goals are to build my research skills and back myself more when I have interest in an emerging industry. I really love Lucy's goal for this year. It actually reminds me of one of my favorite investing quotes now that I'm saying that out loud. It sounds so... (laughs) Yes, I have a favorite financial investing quote. (laughs) Um, It is know what you own and know why you own it. And I think we're going to have lots of chats about goals today. So let's get into the episode. Today, we are very excited to be chatting with the host of one of our favorite money podcasts, Emma Edwards, a self-confessed natural-born spender. Up until the age of 26, Emma says that she lived rich with nothing but financial regret until something clicked. Determined to help others live a life of financial optimization, not frugality, Emma started The Broke Generation to share her journey to financial freedom. Today, she provides informative and entertaining resources for millennials and Gen Ys alike who want to learn how to get financially fit. Emma, welcome to Your Own Good Company. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're so excited for today and we will start off with the questions that we start with every guest. The first being, what's the best thing that's happened to you this week? Mm, I was kind of nervous for this question because it's only Tuesday, but yesterday... It's kind of really silly and it's a little bit like woo-woo. But I had, so I've recently resigned from my job and now I'm working for myself. <laughs> and I kind of had this moment where I was like, oh, shit, like, this is 
all I have to do now. This is my whole job. This is how I spend all of my days. And it was just kind of like quite nice. So that's probably the best thing that's happened to me so far. So exciting to hear that you have left your job to take the Broke Generation full time. And we will talk more about that later. But first, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be and why? Mm. Naturally, everyone famous fell out of my head at at the point of learning I would be answering this question. But (laughs) I've heard other people say that they would choose like relatives that have passed away. So I am going to go down that route, as cliche as it is. But my gran, who is my like favourite relative ever, I don't really have that many relatives. Our family's tiny and we're not very close. But my gran was my favourite person ever. And I kind of hate that she didn't get to see me as an adult. So probably with her. Oh, I think that's a really sweet answer. And if you could be a stock or company, who would you be and why? Okay. I wanted to say Canva, but I know that other people have said this. <laughs> and it's not even, you know, we can't even buy it at this point. But I'm going to die on this hill and I'm actually going to say Adore Beauty, which, you know, looking at its current price is probably not Ooh. a very good answer. But it was the first ever individual stock I ever bought. And so... Look, I've got faith because I have to have faith. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll lose money. So I've got faith that it's going to do well. And I kind of figure that if I am going to die on a hill choosing a stock and also investing in a stock that's, you know, female founded and is, you know, everything that I think is great about a door, then I'm kind of okay with that. So I'm glad that I backed it when I did and I have faith that it will recover to more than the price I paid for it. We were so lucky. We actually interviewed the CEO of Adore Beauty not long ago to Neil. And one of my favorite things about the interview was she told us about how they had people reaching out to them, females in particular, wanting to invest for the first time because of the popularity that the Adore Beauty IPO had. And I just think that that's so nice. And it really goes to show the power of like more female founded companies becoming more successful and being able to list on the stock exchange. Yeah, totally. I listened to the episode too, and I really enjoyed it. And I was kind of like, it's good to invest in something that you do understand. Like, yeah, I can invest in robotics and all those kinds of things that we don't really understand. But it's like, I do understand Adore Beauty and I followed Kate for a long time and I've, I'm pretty sure I've met her before, though she wouldn't remember, but I'm sure that I have. And I just kind of, I'm comfortable with it, <laughs> even if it's not performing all that well um, at the moment, but I'm comfortable with it as a decision. Well, I guess we're going to get into it then, Emma. One of the reasons we love your podcast and your social media so much is that you're all about not really giving up exactly what you love to get financially fit or free. You can still incorporate what you love. And on your website, it says that if you want to optimize your lifestyle so that you can still guzzle Aperol with your mates the second the sun shines, my darling, you're in the right place. So we thought we'd play a game of would you rather frugal v fancy edition to see you know where your head's at with all of these items <laughs> i'm pretty excited for this so are you ready <laughs> yes the first one is the dyson air wrap complete or your standard kmart curler <laughs> i've got the dyson air wrap complete so i'm gonna have to say that however i will caveat that <laughs> with if your hair doesn't do the things you want it to do with other styling tools then don't waste the money on the air app like it doesn't change the hair that comes out of your head so my hair will hold a curl and so it's worth (laughs) it for me but a lot of people are like it didn't transform my thin limp hair and I'm like well no it won't so you know unfortunately (laughs) take that with a grain of salt if you've got hair that does what you want it to do with other things definitely that (laughs) love it the next one is would you rather an expensive bottle of wine or a ten dollar bottle of wine an expensive bottle of wine every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> I can't not. I can't help myself. The honesty. The honesty. <laughs> 
Now, the next one's taken from a rant that you actually had on social media the other week, which is linen sheets that take a year to soften or the classic, you know, target cotton sheets. Oh, I mean, that's hard because I'm not crazy about the target sheets either. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Neither of those. (laughs) I don't want either. (laughs) For those who didn't see it, can you give us some insight into the rant about linen sheets? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So I... um. Everyone's got linen sheets, right? They're all in Country Road. They look really like rustic and earthy and nice. And I wanted some for ages and I was like, God, they're expensive. So I put them on my Christmas list um, and I got the sheet set and then I eventually bought the quilt set to go with it. And then I kind of wriggled in and it felt like I was in a brown envelope going to bed. And I was like, why is it so rough? Why is no one talking about this? (laughs) Everyone's just saying how amazing linen is. And then everyone was replying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll soften in about a year. And I was like, sorry? A year? Like, no. And I just thought it was weird that no one was really mentioning that. Everyone's like taking these gorgy pics of their bedding and no one's mentioning that they have to wait for it to soften. So, you know, it is what it is. Take it with a grain of salt. Fair call. All right, the next one, Emma, is would you rather home brand oil or Cobram Estate olive oil? I'm not that fussy with my olive oil. So I'll go the home brand. If I'm cooking with it, I'm not stressed. If I'm pouring it on my burrata, different story. But if I'm cooking with it, definitely. um, (laughs) Definitely home brand is good enough for me. And new clothes or op shop purchases? It's got to be a combo of both. Oh, I like that. I know I can't say that, but it's got to be a combo of both. Because that's, you know, there's certain things that you want to buy new and certain things that's worth buying new. And there's other like more trendy bits and pieces that's better to just pick up from the op shop and then you can just re-donate when you're done. Nice. And would you rather a basic brie or an expensive brie? Oh God, it has to be an expensive brie. Those cheap brie's that like don't, they just hold their shape all the time. <laughs> no matter what the temperature is, they're just like so rigid and triangular. And you're like, why aren't you melting? <laughs> Gotta be, gotta be a melty brie. Sorry. I'm glad you said that because Maddie is a cheese fan, and I'm not sure she would have gone through the rest of this interview okay if you said that it was the non-expensive brie. <laughs> because we're keeping happy family here, which is nice. <laughs> it's gotta, it's gotta be the expensive brie every time. And last one, and this one is an interesting one because it's actually a company that has IPO'd recently as well. But you know, are you an Olaplex girl or you stick to the basics, something like a Garnier? That is an interesting one. I haven't actually used Olaplex because I don't really know what it is. Like, I've totally heard of it. I totally know what you're talking about. But I don't really know what it's claimed to do. And I've got this kind of thing with hair care that, like, no matter how much I spend or what I put on my hair, my hair's the same. So I'm a bit like, I don't know if it will be that good. So I don't don't really use Garnier, but I just use, like, the stuff that my hairdresser tells me to get. And that's it. Nothing really fancier on top of that. So I don't know. Please enlighten me about Olaplex if you've used it. (laughs) <laughs> I, haven't I used, haven't I haven't used it but there's so many girls on TikTok that rave about it and then they show like their 10 piece product set that they use on their hair every night I'm like your hair is gorgeous but like I also don't have $700 to spend on my hair every day seven god okay I thought it was like one product I know nothing clearly <laughs> yeah no I mean what is it is it shampoo or is it like serum or is it the whole thing whole shebang there's like 10 different products all different, you know, can leave some in, can wash some out. Like, I think there's a whole thing. <laughs> it's a lot of admin, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, so I'm not sure. Emma, we want to get a little bit into your own money journey now. The intro to your podcast is not so long ago, I was a hot money mess. For those who don't know your story, what did this hot money mess entail? 
for me, it really came from like a a background of just not being engaged with money at all. Like my parents didn't ever talk about money apart from in a really negative way. They went through a divorce and I only saw the negative side. Like I just only saw the negative side of money. And I think I grew up with the perception that like money was hard and like spending it was the sweet relief of that, <laughs> which sounds really silly, but like my parents didn't invest. We didn't have any, they didn't have any property or they didn't kind of ever talk about anything positive, anything positive about money aside from, you know, some people have it and some people don't and it's just really hard and you kind of work really hard and you never really get anywhere which is you know that's kind of a sad reality for a lot of people and I think if you grow up around that it's really hard to believe that there's ever anything else like I knew there were wealthy people but I didn't ever really know that I I honestly don't think that it ever entered my brain that investing was something that actual people did apart from like obviously wealthy people like I didn't know that you could do it with obviously increasingly more so recently you can do it with less and less money but I just didn't ever think that it would be anything that I would ever be able to do like I thought that our participation in the world with money was that you went to work earned it spent it worried about it quite a bit maybe got divorced over it (laughs) and that was that and so I didn't really I, I didn't even know that like financial confidence or whatever came from reserving a portion of your income and saving it for later in life like I just didn't know that happened because I hadn't grown up around it and I hadn't been told about any of it so it was just really like a state of complete I mean ignorance for want of a better word but that makes it sound a bit more intentional than it was I just didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing and I didn't know that anything better than spending my money in on you know crappy polyester clothes and rent was was anything I thought that was all there was for me really um and then when I kind of got a bit older than that um you know older than I'd like unfortunately I started to realize that people had been saving and I was like oh shit like people have been saving money um and I've got debt so what what's gone wrong here what have I missed and those gaps started to fill in and I there was social media and I started to learn things and there were less so podcasts then but since then podcasts have come out and I started researching things and like micro investing apps were starting to come out and it was just suddenly this kind of light bulb moment of like oh my god okay people are saving some of their income and if you do x y and z you can sort of have a bit of a surplus and you you put that away and then that becomes more and that's kind of how it all works and that's how people are buying property and it kind of all fell into place um in terms of how it works my finances themselves took a lot longer to catch up than that unfortunately um but yeah it was really a lack of knowledge like honestly complete lack of awareness of what was even possible yeah we had a guest on I think in one of our first seasons who spoke about how you know your experience with money and how you handle money really comes from your money story and that comes literally from your first experiences of money so if you have people like your parents speaking about it in a negative light then you know for a lot large portion of your life you could be thinking about money in a really bad way we're so lucky now that we have the resources that you can be enlightened to what money is and that's obviously happened in your case but on your social media and across your podcast you do talk about your experience with debt and we wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit about your experience with debt and I guess if you think that this debt was really linked to emotions at all yeah it really was and like that's kind of what's led me to do a lot of a lot of the work that I do now because you know some people are like like you guys you're experts in investing and that's kind of like your thing for me it's like so many steps lower than that and it's about working out those (laughs) those emotional barriers to to getting even further through the money process I've 
you know, trigger warning I'm about to mention eating disorders. I've had like an experience with binge eating, binge exercising, and that that binge behavior translated to spending. And so I did the exact same thing to cope with emotions where I might overeat or overexercise or overspend when things were not going right in my life or when I was feeling some kind of way about, you know, whatever was going on in my life at the time. I just like turned to those external forces and spending was just one of those things. And that's kind of how the debt came about like I was given and you know a lot of it comes down to irresponsible lending I was given a credit card far too young and in the UK student overdrafts are a really big thing because I went to uni in the UK Um, and everyone was in their overdraft like that's just part of your student life like it was it was just part of the vernacular everyone was in their overdraft that's just the way that it was like oh I'm getting paid today from a part-time job that means $500 will be paid off my overdraft or 500 pounds and then you spend it again like that's just what everyone was doing um unfortunately some of those people were getting help from their parents that I didn't know about so I thought we were all in the same boat when we were <laughs> um but the kind of day-to-day <laughs> behaviors of money were were very similar and I think the thing with my debt and a lot of people kind of relate to this especially on the younger side, I didn't have anything to show for it. Like I hadn't been going off on all these holidays or buying designer bags. Like I had nothing to show for it, except just like existing with maybe an extra dress from Pretty Little Thing or whatever was the thing back then. I didn't have loads of stuff. I hadn't been loads of places. I hadn't been traveling. I hadn't done any of the stuff, but I had this debt that just kind of like followed me around like a mountain I had to climb. When I had like my financial awakening of like, oh God, everyone's been saving money and I haven't, to realize I was already so many paces back was really confronting because I had not only to start saving but to pay off the debt first as well and that was you know that was a lot to kind of deal with and then you know there is obviously individual responsibility there as well I spent on things that I didn't need and you know kind of got stuck in that cycle that so many people get stuck in and you know regardless of how you got there you've got to get yourself out um and I was new to Australia at the time so I was paying off from another country and I was earning a really low income when I first came here because I was a contractor And yeah, it was just like, I just had to get in this headspace of just tiny steps forward, stop using the card and then just tiny steps forward. And it took about, I think, three years end to end to pay it off. Um, Luckily, it doesn't sort of take it doesn't get taken into account in the same way if it's a debt in another country. So it wasn't kind of considered against other things I was doing here, luckily. But that's, you know, that's absolutely not an advertisement for getting debt in another country. (laughs) Um, But yeah, sorry, that was a really long winded answer. But yeah, it was just like a real kind of like journey of realizations and then having to backstep it and do the work kind of retrospectively. So you mentioned you had a financial awakening in there. I want to go into that a little bit further. What sort of was your turning point? How did you break the cycle that you were in? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's really funny, like looking back on it from like so many things, when you look back on them, they kind of play out a lot. They're a lot more simplified than they were at the time. So I'm like really trying to like tap into that time whenever I'm whenever I'm asked to recall it. Um, But I think that sort of in this, in that period of time where I was kind of like, having this realization that everybody was doing all these things there was like this real frustration with myself because like with so many things with money with healthy eating with going to the gym like you know what you've got to do like even though I wasn't really engaged with money and I'd grown up around this kind of real you know invisibility to any kind of financial confidence I knew that if I spent less than I earned I'd be okay or or that if I wanted to ever have money left over I needed to stop spending or I needed to budget or whatever but I just wasn't doing it so even though it was really hard to kind of like have that realization and then start putting one foot in front of the other it was hard from like a mindset and a a engagement with the process perspective but the actual things that you need to do 
are remarkably simple. So, and I think that when you've kind of tried things in the past or you've maybe tried and failed at things, it's really easy to think, well, that's not what I need to be doing. I need to be doing something else. And it's just the secret source that everyone else seems to be able to do that I can't get. But it is really a case of just organizing where your money is going it feels horrible when there's debt involved because everyone else is running off into the distance with their, you know, 100 bucks a week or whatever they can spare and saving it and investing it and doing all these things with it or going traveling with it or buying a house with it. And you're like just chipping away at this like massive pile of shit. Um, but just kind of like reframing how you see progress was really important to me. And um, just, you know, I got into those, I just really got into the habit of putting one foot in front of the other, making sure that I wasn't um what's the word sort of like undoing all my progress because that's what I kept doing with using this credit card and putting stuff back on I kept thinking oh I've made progress and then rewarding myself for making progress by putting more stuff on the credit card which like saying it out loud sounds so ridiculous but this is honestly what was going on in my mind I'd pay off like $500 and be like oh just pop $34.95 back on there as if it didn't matter but it does matter and really just like paying attention to every little dollar when you are in that stage I know that there's loads of narrative online being like the coffees don't matter or the small numbers don't matter but when you're in that shit storm they really really do when you've got seven grand of debt to pay off and you're earning four hundred dollars a week the armor cappuccino really really matters totally been there I'm not shaming myself I'm not shaming people but really getting clear on your situation and what matters to you because what matters to somebody who's got money invested or they're earning six figures or whatever yeah an armor cappuccino isn't going to make that much difference they can focus on bigger things but if you're trying to get yourself out of that really shit situation those tiny things really do matter but as long as you're moving forward and you're not coming backwards you eventually start to see clearer and then you know I want to say before you know it it's not before you know it at all but I did eventually get to this place at the end of 2019 where there was like $800 to go and I was like oh my god I can pay it off and now I'm done and what that process does and honestly weirdly if I hadn't had the debt even though it felt like the debt was what was holding me back if I hadn't had the debt I don't know when I would have learned how to manage my money because I learned to manage money paying off debt and then when I paid it off I was originally putting like a bit in savings and a bit towards debt, like splitting that equally so that I didn't need to use debt for emergency savings and things like that. But then when that was done, both of those amounts that I'd been used to living without were going into savings. And suddenly it was like jumping up and my numbers were jumping up and I was like, this is the good life that everyone else has been living all this time. So do you have, I guess, for anyone that's listening that, you know, has an experience with debt or aren't happy with the way that they're spending at the moment or allocating their money, do you have any specific kind of steps or advice that you would give to people like that, you know, to kind of get out of that routine or level up and actually to start saving or investing? Yeah, I do. And for me, it really starts with getting really clear on where your money's going, Um, whether that's money that you're using credit for or whether it's just maybe you're not in debt, um, but you're just not comfortable with where your money's going. And I say that because I think that that works across the board with any kind of financial change you want to make. Because I was talking about this on Instagram the other day. Um, I started doing these weekly spending reviews on Instagram Live. Um, I say I've started, I've done one. I'm going to do them every week. I review where my money went that week to make me engage with it (laughs) and also to kind of demonstrate to other people as well. But whatever it is that you want to do, knowing where your money is going kind of answers so many questions no matter what's going on for you because you might be living perfectly well within your means 
but actually you're spending a load of stuff that you're not even really enjoying and missing out on the opportunity to invest. Or you might be in debt and, you know, putting money on cards that you're not even getting any like lifestyle value from. So get really, really clear on where your money's going. You don't have to like track every single dollar all the time, but just regularly reviewing where things are going. And then like my sort of signature tip, I suppose, is to rank your transactions. However often you want to do it is fine and it will depend on what's going on for you. But rank your transactions by how much joy or value or whatever you want to call it they brought you because that gives you sort of like a heat map of how much you're actually getting in exchange for your money because every time we spend money we're trading money that could be invested or used for property or whatever like it's obviously not as black and white as that as that and you need to enjoy your life at the same time but every dollar you spend today is one less for tomorrow. It's just mathematically the way that it works. doesn't mean you never should spend any, but if you're going to spend it instead of investing it, whatever, you want to be getting something for it. So reviewing your transactions so you know not only where your money's going, but whether you're actually enjoying where it's going or getting anything out of it um, is like, it answered so many questions for me because it made me understand where I was doing that emotional spending. It made me understand where I was leaking money. It made me understand where I was spending for you know, reasons related to my mental health or to impress other people, or sometimes you literally are physically spending money on other people. You might be picking the bill up every time because everyone knows that, I don't know, you're a lawyer or whatever, and maybe they think you earn more than them, but actually you don't. Or, you know, people make assumptions about who should pay more for stuff. Maybe you're paying more in your relationship. Like getting clear on where your money's going is for me the first step to whatever you want to do, no matter how financially confident you are or how good it looks on paper. If you know where your money's going, you'll be able to do more. It's so funny. This year was the first year that I actually kind of reviewed like my spending habits from the previous year, mainly because I was listening to a lot of like self-help 2022 financial goal podcasts. And I was like, all right, if this many people have told me to do this, I'm going to have a look. And I was actually so interested to see like the amounts I was spending on things that I wasn't spending on. Like I found subscriptions that I was linked up to that would just go on my card and it would be a small amount, but it would add up over the year or like, this is so random, but like when you go to the supermarket and don't do your weekly shop, but you just go to get a couple of things and it adds up to like, you know, you'll get a drink because it's cheap on half price and then you'll get, you know, something because you're a bit hungry and those things like I used to think my weekly shop was a certain amount, but I'm like, no, it's so much higher. So it's so, it actually is so valuable to assess. It seems like a daunting task, but it's so valuable to assess where you spend your money. Absolutely. The supermarket thing was one of the first things I learned when I first started doing this back when I was in the debt. I kept like popping in for Basel and coming out with like all these ridiculous things <laughs> that I so didn't need. I love Basel but- though, the superior herb. <laughs> exactly. But then I'd be looking at my bank statement and thinking, well, that was for the supermarket. So I can't, you know, I can't change that. There's obviously no money. There's no spare money. But it's like, no, I need to just plan ahead and I'll spend less. And then you actually free up so much more money. And when you are freeing up money on those things that are the things you're not getting any value out of, it's like free money because you you aren't missing the money in the first place. And then you just get to reallocate it to something, whether that's spending it on something else or investing you're just redeploying the same money that you didn't even know that you were wasting on something that's actually valuable for you. I'm using my hands and gesticulating and no one can see, but (laughs) you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I was laughing so much when you said that, Soph, because literally just last night I went to the supermarket last minute and chisels were on sale and I was like, oh, (laughs) chisels. We are going to take a quick break for our sponsors, but we'll be right back to get Emma's tips for setting up a successful investing routine. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Emma, I guess we've heard a little bit about your hot money mess self, but it seems like you've migrated past that point and talk about investing and saving a lot. So why do you believe money habits are so important for people that are wanting to invest? Your money habits are the day-to-day of what's happening in your bank accounts. Um, It's so much more important than we realize because we do underestimate those smaller numbers. But if you are overspending by $200 a month on stuff that you didn't really want, and that is key, I'll never suggest that you give up things that you do want. But if you're spending $200 a month on things that you don't even want, that's like two and a half grand a year. And if you invested that each year because you redeployed it because you didn't even know that you were missing it, in 10 years, you could have like 35,000 if we were using a 7% example and you reinvested. I'm not saying sweat the small stuff all the time, but if you can just keep an eye on them every month or every quarter and just make sure that you're sweeping anything that you might otherwise be wasting, it's like trimming wastage and putting it to better use. I think there's probably a line after which those smaller habits maybe aren't worth your effort. But like, I've never been a particularly high income earner. So if you're an average person and you're in your 20s and you're still on like entry level or a little bit more salary, the smaller stuff can add up to quite a lot. And I still really believe that. And I'm still saying, you know, still saying do that without giving up all the things that you like we do buy things that we don't want like as much as we say that we don't we absolutely do i do anyway maybe you anyone that doesn't maybe maybe you're different but i know that loads of people i know do and we can redeploy that into stuff that makes us way more financially confident in the future and that's to me that's the easiest win because it's money that you were already going to spend and you've just changed where it's going You mentioned financially confident there. And I think one of the best ways that you can really set yourself up for financial confidence is with a plan or with goals. Emma, you did an awesome summer series and I would highly recommend any of our listeners to go and check it out. But one of the things that you did chat about uh, throughout that summer series was setting up an investing plan. And, you know, the new year can be a great time to do that. What are your tips for doing this? And I guess would love to hear what some of your goals are for the year ahead too. Mm. So my one this year is a little bit wacky because I really need to focus on my super this year because I don't have employer contributions anymore, only really newly. So I've never really contributed extra to my super. I've kind of focused on investing like little bits outside of super. I don't have loads invested. My portfolio is worth 
like I think 17,000 at most. It's probably dropped a little bit now. I don't have loads and loads, but this year, because I don't have those employer contributions anymore, I do really want um, to prioritize my super. So for me, it's going to be that. And it looks a little bit different because I don't really know how much I'm going to be earning. But what I have done is looked at what my employer would have contributed if I was still there. And I want to work to at least match that so that I'm not behind because I've gone self-employed. However, other years when I've been setting up like an investing plan, the first thing I do, look at how much you're actually going to take home after tax. <laughs> because I think as much as social media and people telling their stories of their net worth and everything is amazing, sometimes you can be kind of like, oh, I want to have 100k net worth by next year, but you're taking home 43,000 after tax. And you're like, got to pay rent with that. <laughs> like it's just, you need to work out what is actually going to be available to you. And this is like massively something, I would just pluck a number out my ass and be like, I'm going to save 20 grand this year. <laughs> And I was earning 30. <laughs> like, baby, not. <laughs> Let it go. So start with how much is actually coming in and your expenses and work out what your actual gap is. And then start thinking about what you can do with that and how that's going to look. So are you going to invest $200 a month? Are you going to save it up and invest it in like bundles? Some people do that. Are you going to use more of a micro investing app and it's going to just take it out of your weekly pay? Like maybe if you're doing smaller amounts and you want to pay something with a monthly fee rather than where you're paying brokerage every time. Um, And obviously, you know, work out what you're going to invest in. You might already know and you might just be putting it into what you've always been doing or you might be starting for the first time. So you might want to start with one of those lower entry points um like an app or a robo advisor or whatever it is that you're going to use and setting that plan and committing to it just like you would if you were putting money away for saving for a trip or something it's one of those things again we know what we need to do if we were going to thailand for two weeks in june we'd be thinking right okay i need x amount i'm going to put this amount away because it's much more instant gratification but just apply the exact same principles as if you were getting a trip to thailand at the end of it but putting it into your investing and working out when you're going to do it where that money's going to come from and how viable that is and just set and forget is usually how I would approach it once you've kind of done that groundwork. Yeah, I feel like taking the first step in all of that is sometimes feels like the hardest thing, the most daunting thing, thinking about how much you actually make and where you're going to put it. But once you start, it seems like you can get into a routine pretty easily. Now, we've touched on it a little bit about, you know, making investing a part of our routine, but we had a listener question and one listener said, how do you make both saving money and investing a part of your everyday life? Do you have, I guess, any tips or recommendations around integrating these things into, you know, often what people have is very busy, busy lives? First of all, it's really valuable to address that saving and investing are still both important. I think they're sort of particularly as inflation starts to rise, there can be a little bit of a rhetoric of like, if your savings account is earning you less than inflation, then you're losing money. And again, mathematically, that's true. But that doesn't mean go and invest all your money in the stock market and aim for a 7% return because you need to have liquidity and you need to have access to money for emergencies or whatever. So firstly, don't sort of think I'm done with with saving and I'm only investing now or I'm investing all my savings. There's spending and there's saving and there's investing and they're all really important to all of us in different ways. But making saving and investing part of your everyday enjoyment of life, 
I think it's really about balancing those habits that we talked about before. So your money that you're investing needs to be surplus income. And so how do you split your surplus income? Work out what your expenses are and then work out what your discretionary spending is going to be because we spend, we're human beings. That's how we exist on the planet and enjoy our time here. So then how are you going to split the rest? Are you going to put so much into savings or so much to debt and so much towards savings and so much towards investing, you know, whatever order you're doing everything in. Um, But, you know, work out what that surplus is that you might otherwise be using for other things and just sort of factor that in. Some people like to think about it like a bill. So they pay themselves and their savings and their investings and then what's left is what they spend. It really kind of depends on how your money comes in. But get really clear on what your surplus income is and then just split a portion of it non-negotiably, just like you would if it was a gym membership, for example. Um, However small or large that portion ends up being for you, um, I think it's just really important to factor it in rather than kind of thinking, oh, I might invest some money this year if I've got any spare because it's hard enough to say you're going to save it but when you've actually got to invest it and take a risk in doing that with all this noise of stock prices dipping and everything um i think it's even harder at another level to say you'll invest unless you've got a plan so kind of working out what percentage or what chunk of your surplus income is going to go there i feel like it's um such a good point like actually over the past two years we've had covid so we've been kind of locked up and not doing a lot and so much of my money and i know maddie and i had a lot of conversations about this went to investing because we were like well we're not spending on going out or doing other things and then it comes around to this year and you have to reassess your goals and you're like wait what if i want to travel like i have to save for that like i can't necessarily invest for that because that's the short term so I guess it's a good point of just like trying to work out what those little goals are for the year and then fitting it in just to your everyday routine. Yeah. And it's like something I've had to contend with this year, having for the first time absolutely no kind of expectation or regularity in my income. I mean, I was honestly before this podcast thinking, God, I'm going to go on this podcast and be like, I'm not investing this year. But no, I really need to. I mean, I need to take my own advice, (laughs) listen to what I'm saying to everybody. But it's a different experience for me at the moment. And I'm really still feeling it out. So in your experience, once you have got into quite a like good routine and you're on a roll with your money, do you have any tips for like how to mentally really stick to it and stay on top of things? And I guess especially in times like this, when the market is quite volatile and there is a lot of noise around. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And it's, um, I was actually having a conversation with a friend earlier today of how at one point we were really, really highly engaged with investing when we were like really first learning about it, because you have to be, you have to get comfortable with prices going up and down. And when you're looking to buy something, you might pay more attention to prices going up and down. But then once you're in your routine, you kind of take your foot off the gas a bit and you're kind of like, well, you know, the prices are really irrelevant because I've bought them now and I'm holding them for you know, decades, probably, ideally. So it's sort of like a case of don't be overly hands on be balanced when you're being really hands on with your investments. Um, And then, you know, with your broader money strategy, more, more broadly, where there's going to be spending and saving and that everyday kind of habit aspect. I just kind of look to get to a point where you're almost not coasting, coasting is the wrong word, but where there's the least resistance. So if you're sort of like panicking about your stocks and you're thinking, oh my God, they've gone down, they've gone down. You, I don't know, maybe are you a little bit over-invested? Do you need to kind of pull back a bit? Because you're obviously not comfortable with it. Um, a bit kind of like when you're constantly checking your transactions or checking how much is in your savings account. Something's probably not quite right 
there because you're not feeling you really just want to feel like there's really nothing going on a bit like and it sounds like a naff example but a bit like when there was that rise of intuitive eating and everyone was kind of going just eat healthy and don't think about it like stop counting calories just eat good food and don't think about it like you kind of want the same thing just buy stuff that isn't (laughs) that you don't regret later put some away for the future invest a bit if you can and just try not to think about it too much you know check in with it regularly make sure you're not eating like 18 mars bars a day because you'll intuitively know that you're not um you know that's not right but it is that sort of like finding that balance where there isn't a whole lot of resistance and you're not thinking about it too much it's just happening but for me it is massively about how I'm feeling and if something's feeling off and I'm obsessing over something an allocation is probably not right somewhere I love that I think that should be our advice going forward just buy things that aren't shit and um just sit and forget about it (laughs) if if only it was that easy you know well it is is (laughs) so Emma before we get to our final question you know, we think you're so entertaining. We love your social media. We love your podcast. Where can people find The Broke Generation? And is there anything that you would like to plug? You can find me at the Doc Broke Generation on Instagram or The Broke Generation Podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts. I am on social media and, and my podcast every week. Um, and I do sort of take a bit of a holistic lifestyle approach to money where we do still spend and it's not frugality. And it's also not, you know, seven figure net worth, you know, hats off to the people that are there, but I'm not. Um, and I'm kind of going through the same things that my followers are going through a lot of my followers you know come to me with questions about you know what do I do with x y and z and they're in a like you know on paper so much better financial situation to me but that's kind of what my community I guess is all about like I'm not an expert telling people what to do it's just kind of like I have this curiosity for why we do why we do things the way we do them and I kind of just seek to give reason to why you might be feeling the way you're feeling about money and how we can use that information to to do better and feel better about it. Well, Emma, on that note, one final question for you. What piece of advice would you give to someone starting out on their investing journey? So, and this is just, this is what I did. I read a lot of like um, how-to guides and sort of like watched a lot of the videos and things on the ASX website and on like Comsec or the trading platform of your bank it's really broken down. It's fact. It's not somebody's opinion and it's not about what to buy. It's literally about the process of how you like add the thing to your cart and check out. Because that was the stuff that was confusing me so much. I kind of started to understand the principles of investing and like that all sounds kind of simple, but then you're like, wait, well, why am I still confused? Because the platforms look quite confusing and you've kind of got like bid and market caps and all these kind of numbers. And it's a bit like, whoa, what's all this stuff? And then the other thing I was doing for ages before I was investing was watching stocks app on my iPhone, which I always thought was this like weird finance bro app that I would never need to touch. Um, but when I realized that it was just like a wish list on the iconic, I was like, oh, um and so I was just putting names of companies in there that I knew and just watching the the prices go up and down and it just kind of it's really helpful as well when it kind of brings up the news stories um about the companies that you're watching and you can kind of put context to what's happening in the market and be like oh it's reporting season what's that and people's you know stock prices are going up and down what does that mean and just kind of fleshing out the picture before you even buy anything was like that was like a year-long process for me I think that is great advice and every time a guest gives their advice I always take something on board so thank you very much for sharing 
Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure and we hope that the audience has really taken something out of this. Thanks so much for having me. I I hope you have too. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Emma. You're in Good Company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're in Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.